The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 22 of Lawful Oaths and Vows, Paragraphs 1 to 7. A lawful oath is part of religious worship, wherein, upon just occasion, the person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness what he asserts or promises, and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he swears. Paragraph 2. The name of God only is that by which men ought to swear, and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dreadful name, or to swear at all by any other thing, is sinful, and to be abhorred. Yet, as in matters of weight and moment, an oath is warranted by the word of God, under the New Testament as well as under the Old. So a lawful oath, being imposed by lawful authority in such matters, ought to be taken. Paragraph 3. Whosoever takes an oath ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act, and therein to avouch nothing but what he is fully persuaded is the truth. Neither may any man bind himself by oath to anything but what is good and just, and what he believes so to be, and what he is able and resolved to perform. Yet it is a sin to refuse an oath touching anything that is good and just, being imposed by lawful authority. Paragraph 4. An oath is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words, without equivocation or mental reservation, It cannot oblige to sin, but in anything not sinful being taken, it binds to performance, although to a man's own hurt, nor is it to be violated, although made to heretics or infidels. Paragraph 5. A vow is of the like nature with a promissory oath, and ought to be made with the like religious care, and to be performed with like faithfulness. Paragraph 6. It is not to be made to any creature but to God alone, and that it may be accepted it is to be made voluntarily, out of faith and conscience of duty, in way of thankfulness for mercy received, or for the obtaining of what we want, whereby we more strictly bind ourselves to necessary duties, or to other things, so far and so long as they may fitly conduce thereunto. Paragraph 7. No man may vow to do anything forbidden in the word of God, or what would hinder any duty therein commanded, or which is not in his own power, 
and for the performance whereof he hath no promise or ability from God. In which respect, papish monastical vows of perpetual single life, professed poverty, and regular obedience are so far from being degrees of higher perfection that they are superstitious and sinful snares in which no Christian may entangle himself. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 66 of This We Confess, a journey through the Westminster Confession of Faith helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. By this stage in our podcast we have reached chapter 22 of the Confession and if you've been reading the Confession chapter by chapter, when we come to chapter 22 you may stop. You understand the importance of the other chapters. We've just discussed the Sabbath day and how we're to worship God. Very, very important. Previously, we've discussed much weighty matters like the doctrine of election and how Christ is our only mediator. And then when we come to chapter 22, it's of lawful oaths and vows. And not only that, as we have heard already in this podcast, the Westminster Divines hand over seven paragraphs discussing these lawful oaths and vows. Some of you will know the scriptures and you will remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 and verse 34, where Jesus says, do not take an oath at all. And so we take the Lord's words and we think that the divines were completely wrong and lawful oaths and vows are utterly irrelevant. But as we will see, the Lord was not prohibiting all oaths and all vows. And so the Westminster Divines take this chapter to discuss these oaths and vows and to teach on how they are to be regulated. Today you may think it doesn't sound very important, but I suspect that you would agree with me when I say that as Christians we want to always speak the truth. If that is in preaching the gospel or the plain teaching of scripture, or indeed when we are talking to someone behind the scenes, Surely, as believers, we always want to be men and women of truth. If that is the case, and we absolutely despise telling a lie, then of lawful oaths and vows is an important chapter for every single one of us. The first thing we want to do is to define what we mean by an oath and a vow. At first glance, they seem very, very similar, but there is a slight difference. An oath involves both men and and God. So for example, you will say to your friend, I promise by the name of Almighty God that I am telling the truth. You're making a promise to someone and you're calling upon God to be a witness to what you're saying is true. On the other hand, a vow is between you and God alone, where you call upon the Lord and you promise to perform a certain duty. So an oath involves men and God, you promise to someone else and call upon God as a witness, and a vow is between you and God alone, where you promise to him to carry out a certain duty. As the divines begin, they tell us that a lawful oath is a part of religious worship, and on just occasion someone can call upon the Lord to witness what he asserts or promises is true, not a falsehood, but absolutely right. So straight away we understand that if we are ever going to take an oath, we are calling upon the name of the Lord God Almighty, and because we do not want to take his name in vain, as we read in Exodus 20 and verse 7, 
then we are always to tell the truth. We are to take this seriously, therefore, if ever called to make an oath, it is in the name of Almighty God, and may our tongues, therefore, offer no lie. So the divines tell us that a lawful oath is appropriate, and in paragraph 2, they tell us that it is to be made in the name of Almighty God alone. We are not to swear by any other name. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13 it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. If the Lord's name is the highest name in the entire universe, then why would we swear anywhere else? If we are to take a lawful oath, we are to take it in the name of Almighty God. And because the Lord's name is both glorious and dreadful, say the divines, we are to take such an oath with holy fear and reverence. If we want to be men and women who tell the truth, and if we are going to call upon the Lord as a witness to the truth that we believe, then may it indeed be the truth. No half-truths, no little white lies, not just 99% the truth, but whenever we call upon the Lord to witness the truth of what we say, may we take such an oath in his mighty name and may it be absolutely 100% correct. The divines tell us that such an oath, taken seriously, is warranted by the Word of God under the New Testament as well as the Old. It is in Isaiah 65 and verse 16 that we read that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. And then later in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, Paul writes, I call God to witness against me. It was to spur you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. And so we see here that oaths can be taken both in the Old and the New Testament. So what Jesus was speaking about in Matthew 5 and verse 34 was against frivolous oaths, against saying something that we didn't mean, against calling upon the Lord and we had no intention ever to tell the truth. And so in this context, the Lord Jesus Christ does not ban us from taking oaths and vows. But if we are to take such a thing, Christ counsels us to let our yes be yes or our no to be no. In James 5 and verse 12, this teaching is echoed. James says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We see both legal oaths and vows taken in the scriptures, and they are not sinful. But Christ warns us that if we are to take them, we are to take them seriously. They are to be made in the name of Almighty God, who has a glorious yet dreadful name. They are not to be frivolous and empty vows, but instead our truthfulness should be seen in our yes being yes and our no being no. The divines too are just to take an oath seriously. In paragraph 3 they tell us that whoever takes an oath ought duly to consider the weightiness of so solemn an act. And they are to avouch nothing within that oath that they are not fully persuaded is the truth. 
And so, my brothers and sisters, before we call upon the name of the Lord to act as a witness in our discussions or disputes or in the courtroom, we are to be absolutely persuaded that our testimony is the truth. If we all adopted such an attitude, I suspect we would be slower to think about what we had heard or seen or saw, that we would be absolutely dead set on considering all the points of view so that we might arrive at the truth and not just utter gossip that we had heard. And the divines continue as they say that we should not bind ourselves by an oath to anything but what is good and just. We cannot and should not call upon the Lord to witness us as we promise to sin. This is false, it is sinful, it is wrong. An oath binds us to good things, to just things and what we believe so to be, as the divines continued. And also they tell us, an oath binds us to what we are able and resolved to perform. An oath should not be a boastful thing that we cannot ever possibly fulfil. We cannot promise and call upon God to be a witness, to climb Mount Everest if we can never ever possibly do such a thing. O's are to be taken seriously, and we're to consider the weight of them and our ability to carry such an oath out. Again, the divines taking the scriptures and teaching us from the scriptures show us that we should be slow to speak, and even slower to call upon the name of the Lord to act as a witness. But as paragraph 3 concludes, the divines are clear when they say it is a sin to refuse an oath touching anything that is good and just being imposed by lawful authority. Now of course no one can force us into taking an oath but if we are called upon by a lawful authority, for example if we are called to go to court to testify to the truthfulness of what we believe or if we are called by the local church to testify in matters of controversy, it is sinful to refuse such an oath. We do not have to take one, we cannot be forced into it, but we must consider the lawfulness of the authority questioning us and realise that it is good and proper before Almighty God to take such an oath. And as the divines finish their teaching on oaths, in paragraph 4, they tell us that when we make an oath, it is to be taken in the plain and common sense of the words, without equivocation or mental reservation. In other words, our oaths are to be plain. They are to bring clarity to a situation and not confusion. They are to be without back doors, allowing ourselves to get out of a sticky mess a few months down the line. Our words are to be plain and common and true. And even mentally, we are not to be reserved. If we say something, we are to believe it to be true and we are to stand over it. Psalm 24 asks, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer given is that the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And so the Christian is to be a man or a woman who does not swear deceitfully, who speaks the truth, whose words are plain, who do not allow back doors and get out clauses further down the line, men and women again whose yes is yes and no is no. An oath cannot bind us to do anything sinful, say the divines, but an oath does bind us to performance, 
even though it means our own hurt. Now this isn't to say that an oath can lead us to losing our lives or breaking our arm or breaking our neck, but an oath does bind us to performance before Almighty God, even if our own reputation is sullied. For example, if I was to tell the truth before a court, it might lead the court to realise that I had done something that I shouldn't have. By speaking truthfully, by taking an oath before Almighty God and carrying it out, it might mean that my own reputation is damaged. But it is to be exactly this way. We are to tell the truth. We are to keep our oath, even if it is made to a heretic or an infidel, say the Westminster divines. Or in other words, if we make an oath before Almighty God, if we ask him to be a witness between us and our neighbour, then we are to keep that oath, we are to keep that promise, even if it is to be made to a non-Christian. So a believer cannot only tell the truth within the walls of the church, but a believer must always tell the truth, even in society at large. Just because a man in our community is of no faith or another faith, he still under God deserves our truthfulness to abound. If the divines are clear that oaths are to be taken seriously, then paragraph 5 tells us that a vow is exactly the same. A vow which is a promise made between you and God is of the like nature with a promissory oath and ought to be made with the same religious care and to be performed with the like faithfulness. Everything we have just said about oaths, therefore, is also true about vows. We read in Psalm 61 and verse 8, So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. And in Psalm 66 and verses 13 to 14, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. And in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 4 to 6, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And so if we are to take oaths seriously, then likewise we are to take vows seriously. If you make a promise before Almighty God, make sure you keep that promise. And if you take a vow at all, paragraph 6 tells us that again it is not to be made to any creature but to God alone. And that it may be accepted, it is to be made voluntarily. Do not allow anyone, brothers and sisters, to force you into it, but enter into a vow voluntarily out of faith and conscience of duty. So enter into a vow, say the divines, when you are fully persuaded by the word of God that a vow is appropriate, not forced by a friend, a minister or an elder, but coming to that place of vowing to do something before God because you have received Christ by faith and because your conscience compels you to do your duty. 
A vow comes from a place of thankfulness for mercy, say the divines, or for the obtaining of what we want. Where we have seen the Lord answering a prayer, we return unto him in praise by vowing that we will carry out a certain duty. And when we vow before the Lord, we strictly bind ourselves to necessary duties, or indeed to other things, so far and so long as they may fitly conduce thereunto. So perhaps we will vow unto the Lord that we will spend Wednesday in a time of fasting and prayer. If so, brothers and sisters, carry it out. Or perhaps we will vow before the local church to be a communicant member and that we promise before the Lord that we will attend to the ordinary means of grace. If so, my brothers and sisters, carry it out. Or perhaps we will vow to the Lord that we will raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If so, brothers and sisters, carry out your vow. Making an oath or a vow is an incredibly serious thing. And if we are persuaded that we must do so, then we must also make sure that we do what we have promised. And as this chapter comes to a close, the very last paragraph tells us that we are not to vow to do anything forbidden in the word of the Lord. And so just like taking an oath, our oath is to be yes and yes and our vow is to be no and no. And whatever it is that we promise or say or call upon the Lord to act as a witness for, it is not to be about anything forbidden in his word. Neither an oath or a vow should lead us into sin or should place a burden upon us to sin. Nor should a vow hinder us or keep us from any duty that the word commands. So for example, we cannot vow to the Lord that we will always be there for someone whenever they call. And suddenly we realize that that promise means that we will never again attend to the ordinary means of grace. Because our friend always needs us on the Lord's day. I know this might be a foolish example, but hopefully it helps you to see what the divines are talking about. Our vows should not keep us from the duties that the Lord places in front of us by his word. And nor should our vows be anything that we do not have the ability or promise from God to carry out. As this chapter concludes, the divines turn their attention to what they call papish monastical vows. These are still in existence today, as they were back when the Westminster Divines put the confession together. They give examples here of a perpetual single life, or in other words, Lord, I promise that I will never, ever marry. Indeed, they offer another example of professed poverty and regular obedience. So men and women promising to the Lord that they will never earn any money over a certain amount, that they will never speak again, that they will always just be devoted to prayer. Although such promises may have the appearance of wisdom, they are incredibly difficult for any single human to carry out. Indeed, the divines tell us that they are superstitious and sinful snares. Anyone who is entangled in such a vow will find themselves, more often than not, falling flat on their face and falling into sin. No Christian may entangle himself or herself in such vows. And so, brothers and sisters, today has been a whirlwind adventure through this chapter and through all seven paragraphs about oaths and vows. 
And in conclusion, I remind you that an oath is a call upon the Lord to act as a witness when you are speaking to your neighbor. And in the same way, a vow is when you call upon the Lord and you promise him that you will carry out certain duties. Whenever we are involved in either a lawful oath or a vow, may we take them incredibly seriously. And because the Lord Jesus Christ himself makes it clear that he is the way and the truth and the life, so may every single one of us endeavour before Almighty God to always in our oaths and vows and regular words, let our yes be yes and no be no. As always, here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. What is the difference between an oath and a vow? Define both of these terms. Question 2. Did Jesus ban oaths and vows? Support your answer biblically. Question 3. An oath binds us to performance, even to our own hurt. What do we mean by this? Question four. If we make an oath to an unbeliever, are we required by the Lord to keep such an oath? And question five. A vow to the Lord should not hinder or keep us from any duty commanded in Scripture. What do we mean when we say such a thing? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. Thank you.